We're still in our What's in a Name series, our summer series, where we're looking at uh, different divine names of God as revealed in the Old Testament. And last week we talked about the fact that God is Yahweh, the Lord who heals you. The Lord who heals you. And today and next week we're going to actually be focusing in on a couple very specific uh, results of that, or things that are true of us, or the ways in which He does that. Um, the ways in which God heals us as the Lord who heals. And uh, first, today, we're, uh, as, we, as we look at those specifics, those two specific uh, extensions from the fact that the Lord is the one who heals us, today, the name that we're looking at and focusing in on is Yahweh Mechadishkim. Yahweh Mechadishkim. No, I did not just sneeze. Uh, it may sound that way, but uh, that, is, that is actually the divine name that we're looking at today, Yahweh Mechadishkim. Try saying that five times fast, and, and you'll, you'll be sorry. Um, but as complicated as the name sounds, it's actually one of the most beautiful and one of the most profound names that God has chosen to reveal Himself by in His Word. It's a, it's a precious name, and um, what makes it so precious, so beautiful, is what it means, and that is... I am the Lord who sanctifies you. The Lord who sanctifies you. And that's what Yahweh Mechadishkim conveys and communicates to us. Leviticus 20 verse 8 says this. This is God speaking. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Sanctification. It's one of those words that you probably have heard if you've been part of the church. You've heard that probably a long time, most of your life, and uh, you may even have an idea of what it means. Sometimes it gets lost on us. It's one of those words that we we recognize, but we don't really think about too much. Sanctification um, simply means set apart, set apart, consecrated, um, made or designated to be holy. That's kind of the, the working definition of sanctification. Um, my mom, growing up, had special dishes, a whole dish set. Like she had plates and glasses and silverware, and they were special. They were reserved for when we had company. They weren't our everyday household use. They were in a cabinet, and she would take them out and dust them so often, uh, but they were reserved for for, the, for when company came over. And so anytime company was coming, I would always ask, Mom, are we going to use the fancy stuff? Uh, because it was special, right? It was set apart. Uh, maybe it's a special dress or suit for you fellas that you just reserve for that special occasion. Um, and, and maybe it's even a special chair, dads. Maybe you have, you know, dad's chair, and everybody knows that's dad's chair, and they get a funny look, even if you don't mean to. They get a funny look if they're sitting in it when you go to sit in it, uh, because it's designated, it's set apart. That's the idea behind sanctification. And really, um, there's a, another image, even in the Bible, that we see this is true for. Uh, the instruments or the tools, even the garments that the priests used in the Old Testament, they were consecrated as holy. They were designated for one use and one use only for the work in the tabernacle and then later in the work in the temple. And so that's all that's kind of wrapped up in sanctification. And specifically, And what I want to make sure we get and really understand and apply today is the fact that sanctification 
For the believer, the believer in Christ means separation from sin for God. It's separation from sin for God. You're separating yourself away from sin so that you can be separated unto God and righteousness and holiness as He is and as He has called us to be and to do. It's rejecting, a willful, constant rejecting of sin in all forms and in all levels, in all categories. Sin entirely. It's, it's making a choice that I'm going to reject that and instead I'm going to pursue service and submission to God in all areas of life. There's not going to be anything left out. All of me is going to be holy, holy. It's going to be completely sanctified unto God. So I'm going to continually reject sin in any form and level so that I can embrace righteousness unto God. Uh, that's, that's the idea behind it. That's what it means for us. And 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3 through 5, let us know a little bit more about this concept of sanctification, uh, wh- how God feels about it, what He wants in our lives from it. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes. He says this in verse 3 of 1 Thessalonians 4, for this is God's will. We all want to know what God's will is for our lives, right? We want to make sure we're walking in His will. We want to make sure we're living out His will. I- I'm going to assume that's true of you today. I hope it is. That's what should mark the life of every believer, a desire to know and live in and live out God's will. So so God's Word tells us this is God's will, your sanctification. That's what God's will is for every one of you. You know, there are certain areas of our life where we may not know exactly, specifically down to the smallest detail what God's will is in a, in a given situation. I mean, is it God's will for you to buy this house or that house over there? Is it God's will for you to go to this college or that college? Is it God's will for you to marry... Uh, no, I'm not going to touch that one. You know, you know what I'm saying, right? There's some things, some details, some small things in life where there may be different avenues to go and different ways of looking at it. And one thing... Uh, you may wrestle with. Is this really God's will for me? But thankfully, there's a lot in life and a lot from God's Word that we don't have to wonder about. We don't have to worry about. We don't have to really spend a lot of time wondering, okay, is this really going to be God's will for my life? Because He makes it very clear, very plain. Aren't you glad He does that? And here's one of those areas. This is God's will for you, believer. Your sanctification. Putting it another way, God's will for you as a Christian is that you are constantly sanctified. That's His will for you. That you accept and that you you choose and that you walk in and work out sanctification. Being set apart. Being consecrated. Being designated as holy. And then we get a very specific, very clear example of what that means. And that's another thing I'm thankful for about God's Word. Throughout the whole Scripture, God doesn't just say, here's this concept, here's what I am asking you or commanding you to do, here's what I'm desiring for you, now go and figure it out. Most of the time, 
he, he gives this very specific example of what he's talking about. And that's all through the Bible. And here's another case of that being true. This is God's will, your sanctification. And here's an example, a very practical, very real life example of what that looks like. That you keep away from sexual immorality. That each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness, which is what sanctification means, in holiness and honor, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles, which is another way of describing unbelievers, those outside of Christ, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. So here's a very specific category of life that sanctification is applied to. Sanctification specifically means you completely stay away, you choose willfully to stay away from whatever could be defined as sexual immorality. And there's a lot under that. Like that's, that's an umbrella statement. And there's a lot of things that go under that. But that means any area or any category of life where you look at a situation and there's a decision between committing sexual immorality, sexual sin, or not, sanctification is choosing not to, staying away from it, keeping away, not even getting close to it. You know, in in marriage counseling, from time to time, thankfully it's not all the time, but from time to time, there's been a question that comes up. And it's a question of, how far is too far? And I, I won't go much farther than that for our purposes today, but in terms of physical relationship and intimacy with the, the couple that's getting married, the engaged couple, uh, sometimes that's a question. You know, how, how much is, is too much in terms of, of physical action between the couple where it would be sin, where it would be sexual immorality? And the, the best answer to give in any of those situations is keep away completely from anything remotely close to it. It's not a question of how, how close to the edge can I get before falling off. It's, it's how can I do everything I can to remain as far from the edge as possible. And that's, that's how this is really being conveyed. It's keeping away, keeping far back, Paul's saying, from any sexual immorality that each of you knows how to control his own body rather than being controlled by your body. That's the idea here. Controlling, mastering your body rather than it mastering you. In holiness, setting apart your body. Paul says in Romans 6, present your, your entire body as, as your members, every part of your body as instruments unto righteousness. That's the idea. Take all that you are and designate it as holy in honor unto God. And there's the contrast here. Not with lustful passions like those who don't know God, like those who are not part of Christ, being ruled and carried along by every whim and every passion and every physical urge or craving. Sanctification is always going to be a contrast. It's always going to be a stark contrast. It's setting apart from what is norm. What is the way in which most people live? It's something different. It's, it's separating from 
what culture says is completely normal and right, and what everybody else does and how they operate. It's something that stands out. That's what sanctification is and what it does. It stands out from what everything else looks like and does. So that's the first example, very real practical way of living out sanctification. It's in terms of sexual purity, sexual righteousness. The other example is found in 1 John 5.21. 1 John 5.21. There the Apostle John says, little children, he's writing to believers to the church, keep yourselves... There's another action term, right? Keep away, Paul said in Thessalonians, from sexual immorality. John here says, keep yourselves, keep away from idols. From idols. And of course, in the first century when John wrote, there were still um, very specific objects that were idols, right? There were still idols being fashioned and carved and set up, and there were still shrines and statues, and, and certainly there's some in, in certain parts of the world in our, our time today, but that's not quite as prevalent as it was then. This is, is a time in which you could go to any market and buy a household idol, and so that's specifically what he's referring to, but by no means is it limited to a physical object, something that is designated as an idol. Idols and idolatry, it's like those pesky weeds all around your yard. You know what I'm talking about? Where no matter what you do, they're still there. They creep up. It's, it's Bo's worst nightmare, you know? I mean, in a way, it's what keeps him in business, but uh, it's also his worst nightmare because no matter what you do, no matter what you instruct people to do, Bo, they keep coming back, don't they? You know, and you can get the strongest weed killer and the, the best weed eater, and yet those things just keep coming back. And that's really how idols work. As soon as you identify one aspect or example of idolatry in your life and you get rid of it, which you should, guess what? There's another one to take its place. Because the human heart constantly gravitates towards idols in one form or another. And we, we naturally, humanly, create new ways of sinning with idolatry. And this can be subtle and good things, along with the more obvious bad things that we all know to avoid. You know, idolatry isn't just the, the very obvious wicked thing. It can be really good things in your life, even God things that you make equal to or higher to God in your affection or your devotion. So, I mean, you can take things that are, that are really holy things and turn them into and pervert them into an idol. Anything that takes your attention away from God, anything that you set up or allow to be set up in your heart or in your mind, even a good thing, if you make it a God thing, it becomes an idol. So idolatry, keep away from it in order to be sanctified. These are two very specific examples of ways to pursue sanctification, ways to live out sanctification, and these are two things that will absolutely keep you from being sanctified if you allow them to be present in your life. Believer, if you flirt with or play with sexual immorality at all, 
you will not be walking in sanctification. That's just the reality. There's no way you can straddle that fence. You can't be sanctified and be committing or be guilty of sexual immorality. You can't be trying to pursue sanctification and say, oh yeah, I I want sanctification. I want to be a sanctified believer. That's really what I'm passionate about. While you're more passionate about this thing over here or, or this person or this situation or this hobby or activity more than you are to God. If you have any idols present in your life ruling over your heart, then your heart's not going to be sanctified. It just can't happen. So these are two very important things to be aware of, guarding against, fighting against, and putting to death all the time. Don't let any trace of either of these things be be present in your life because it's going to be outside of God's will for you, which is, everybody tell me, what is God's will for us? Sanctification, yes, exactly. So this is the the very practical part of sanctification that we all need to, to embrace and keep in mind, keep coming back to. And the other thing about sanctification that I want to make sure we understand is this. Salvation has to be in place before sanctification can take place. Salvation has to be in place before sanctification can take place. The reason for that is because God never sanctifies before He saves. Never works that way. Which means, believer who is in the process of sanctification, stop expecting or demanding for the unbeliever to act as if they are sanctified. It's never going to happen. We can't expect that. We can't demand that of the unbeliever. And the more we do, the more we're going to drive them farther from salvation rather than bringing them closer to it. Because God never sanctifies before He saves. He didn't do that for you. He didn't do that for me. He's not going to do that for someone else. Salvation is birth. That's what salvation is. It's new birth. It's new life. Sanctification is growth following birth. It's development and maturing, following the the new birth that's absolutely necessary. And here's the other thing. It's not optional. Sanctification, the growth that takes place after birth has taken place, is not optional. If you have come to Christ genuinely, if you are legitimately a follower in Christ, you will be sanctified. You will pursue sanctification. You will desire that process, and you will participate in that process. It's not an optional thing. There's no such thing as a true believer that's not a sanctified believer. It doesn't work. It doesn't happen. Now, there is positional sanctification that's in Christ. That happens the moment you are a Christian, the moment you come and receive salvation. The Scripture tells us that you are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. So it, your, your ultimate, your eternal sanctification, that's a done deal. That's established already for you at the moment of salvation. But it's far off. It's not something that you're living out every single moment of, of every day. That's progressive or process sanctification. 
And so what that means is while you're still in this body, this skin, this physical existence, the whole time you're in this body and in this life, it's a process of sanctification, of becoming more like Christ and less like you. It's becoming more set apart unto holiness and righteousness and less tied to the old nature and to sin and to your flesh. You understand that? You're with me on that? So positional or eternal sanctification is different from progressive or process sanctification, which we're all in the boat together. We're all in that boat of of continuing to develop in our sanctification process, continuing to, to have more and more sanctification mark our lives and define us. But we need to understand the order. Salvation comes first. Sanctification follows that and must follow that. It will if you're truly in Christ. Which means if you have no desire whatsoever to be sanctified and there's nothing in your life that marks that or shows sanctification is occurring, then you need to go back and evaluate if you really understood and received the gospel or not. Because if you, if you don't have sanctification on some level, and, and let me just pause on that for a second. Church, we're all going to be in different levels of that. You know, we're not always all going to be on the same page in the same level of our sanctification. But sanctification must be true in some way in your life if you've truly understood and embraced the gospel. So we need to make sure we're all on the same page there. Here's, here's the other thing that I want to make sure to point out about sanctification. We could not save ourselves. Do you agree with that? We could not save ourselves. That's why we needed a Savior, right? There is nothing in us, nothing about us, that could bring about the salvation we need. Not happening. We couldn't save ourselves. Here's the, here's the other thing with that, though, in terms of sanctification. Just as we could not save ourselves, we can't, on our own, by ourselves, sanctify ourselves either. We couldn't save ourselves. We can't sanctify ourselves. We need, just as we needed God to save us, we need God to sanctify us, which is why it's such good news that we can know Him by His name that we're looking at today, Yahweh Mekadishkam, the Lord who sanctifies you. Isn't that good news? It should be just as good news for you as it was to hear that you had a Savior because you couldn't save yourself. It's just as significant to know that you can't sanctify yourself, which is why you have a God who does that for you as well. It's really good news. God is just so, so good, isn't He? So good. And one of the big ways in which he is so good to us is that God does for us what he demands from us. God does for us what he demands from us. Hallelujah for that, right? 1 Thessalonians 5.23-24 through 24 tells us this. 1 Thessalonians 5.23-24 through 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. God doesn't do anything halfway, right? May the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body, that's that's your whole person. That's your entire person. Nothing left out. 
your whole spirit and soul and body. May it be kept, kept. What a good word. What a good thought. Kept by the God who sanctifies you. Just like your salvation is kept by Him, so is your sanctification. Be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That does not mean you won't experience any sanctification at all until Jesus comes. No, that's saying that God, the God who will sanctify you completely in your whole person, He will keep you blameless from now all the way up into the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ when your progressive and process sanctification catches up with your positional and eternal sanctification. What a thought! What a reality! And that's your reality, believer. That God is going to, just as He saved you, He's going to keep you in that sanctification process more and more and more developing so that your whole person is sanctified so that when Jesus comes for you and ushers you into that eternal sanctification, He's going to find you blameless. Not because of your effort, not because of you being that strong and good, because of God's working in you to that end. Verse 24 tells us why we can trust that, why we can know that, why we can be assured of that. Look at what it says. He, speaking of God, who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. God who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And so your sanctification just as your salvation is not dependent on you. It's not something you manufacture. It's not something you bring about in your own life. You don't have that kind of power. That does not negate or take away any or and all responsibility from us, though. We need to understand that. We couldn't save ourselves. We can't sanctify ourselves. But that does not mean we don't have any responsibility or any part to play. You need to understand that. We are called to submit to and to participate with God in His work of sanctification in us. He does it. He does the work of sanctification, but we are called to submit to it and to participate with Him in it, in the work of sanctification in that. And we do that, we do that, in a couple very specific ways. First, we do that by choosing to continually renew our mind. We continually choose to renew our mind, to have our mind renewed. Here's what Romans 12:2 says. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed. There's the concept of sanctification. That that being taken out away from what is is happening all around you. Do not be conformed to this age, to the ways of the world and society and culture and just the way of, of doing life as one outside of Christ. Don't conform to that. Don't be like that. Instead, come out from that. Separate yourself. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good pleasing, and perfect will of God, which is, if you, you kind of just draw a big arrow back, the will of God for you, believer, is what? Sanctification. Being set apart. Being holy. Being consecrated. Saying no to sin and no to self. Yes to Him. Yes to righteousness. Pursuing that. 
So as you renew your mind, you're, you're saying, I'm not going to be conformed to this age, to this world, to the way in which life is done by people outside of Christ. No, I'm going to be transformed so that I'm able to, to recognize and discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God in every situation that I find myself in. In every aspect of my life, this is what I'm going to do. So what that means then is a really good practical question for us to ask all the time as we go through life would be, is this, is this thought, this choice, this activity or action that I find myself faced with, is this helping or hindering my sanctification? It's a really good question for us to ask ourselves all the time as we go through life, as we face all the different aspects of life, every situation we find ourselves in. Is this thought that that I'm tempted to have or, or that I'm prone to have, this choice that I'm getting ready to make, is this action or activity, this attitude, is this going to help or hinder my sanctification? And that's what Romans 12, 2 is all about. That I renew my mind so that I'm constantly able to navigate through the waters of life and say, all right, is this, is this part of the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God for my life? Is this part of my sanctification process? Is this going to contribute to it or is it going to take me away? Is this going to bring me farther along in my journey of sanctification or is this going to take me away from that? It's a good practical line of thought. And the renewal of our mind, which is so important, so necessary, everybody hear me on this, the renewal of our mind that we need to pursue that is absolutely part of sanctification, the renewing of our mind happens by knowing and submitting to and applying God's Word, which He uses to bring about our sanctification. That's, that's how that renewal of your mind takes place. It's by knowing and, and deciding, I'm going to submit to, and then I'm going to apply God's Word to my life because He uses His Word to bring about our sanctification. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, which you have if you're in Christ, the Spirit of God, He's the agent of your sanctification. He's the one that actually sanctifies you. He does that work in your life. He sanctifies the, your, your inner self. He's the agent. But the Word of God, the Word of God is the instrument of sanctification. You see the two together? The Holy Spirit, He's the agent, the one that actually works in you to bring about the sanctification. But the Word of God is the instrument that He uses to do it. This is why it's so important, so important to know His Word, to submit to it, to apply it. And Jesus Himself recognized that and said that. And in fact, He actually prayed to his father before he went to the cross, that his followers would be people marked by, defined by the word of God. And here's why. He says this in John 17, 17, speaking to his father, he said, sanctify them, all of my followers, those with me right here, those coming after me, those who will believe on me because of the message that these people start proclaiming. And that means you and me today sanctify them by the truth. And here's, here's the kicker. Your word is truth. So how are we sanctified? By God's word, which is truth. And it's that word which renews our mind. So it all just, it all just flows together. 
We are sanctified by renewing our mind. We have our mind renewed by being in the Word of God, which sanctify us, sanctifies us. Believers, this is what needs to define us. This is what needs to mark our lives. This is what it really means to be a follower of Christ. And it's, thankfully, praise God, it's not just all up to you because you you couldn't do that, just like you couldn't save yourself. No, thankfully, just as we have a God who heals us down to the very core of our being by saving us, we have a God who also sanctifies us. But it doesn't just mean it happens automatically or by osmosis. It happens by your participation. It happens by your surrender. So my question for you today as we wrap up and as you prepare to go back out into that world, which needs to see you as a sanctified one, my question to you is this. How, in what ways, are you actively participating with God in the work of sanctification in your life? How, in what ways, are you actively participating with God in the work of sanctification in your life? And that's something that you have to have answered by the Holy Spirit in you And so I invite you to ask him that same question. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, which is truth, which does sanctify us. Thank you for your spirit, who is the agent of our sanctification, who brings about that work in our lives. Help us to yield to him. Help us to surrender to your spirit. Help us to submit to your word that we would be truly people that are sanctified people. That's what the world needs to see. That's the only way they're going to recognize there's something different about us, is if we're sanctified, if we're walking in that, walking that out, living out that process. So help us to do that, I pray. Help us to to all be willing to identify areas in our life that we may need to yield more, that we may need to surrender to more, that we may need to be more active in our participation with you as you bring about that sanctification in us. Lead us and guide us, I pray. Thank you for your work of sanctification. Thank you that it's not up to us. Thank you that you are the God who does it. Help us to partner with you on that, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.